Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and to officially kick off the 2019-2020 NBA and college basketball season's coverage on the Double Double Podcast, I am joined today by Coach Max Sass of the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Coach, how's it going? It's going great, Dave. I appreciate you having me on again. It's been uh, it's been too long, man. I totally agree. You know, I didn't want to jinx anything with you know your Ohio State Buckeyes. Just talking about too much. I was talking to to Taylor a, a lot about him, but we'll definitely have you on before before the playoffs so we can get your thoughts on how you're feeling as you get to dive into all the articles and prep over these next three weeks. It feels like a year until the playoff, but. Seriously. But it's only three weeks. So today we're going to hit on a bunch of different NBA topics. I've been talking a little bit up to this point of how, you know, the I don't like talking too much about the NBA until there's a big enough sample size because anything, any team can be hot after 10 games. You know, we, we, we saw the Suns. The Suns looked really good 10 games in, and now they're probably back in the lottery where they should be. So just now we're at almost like the 25-game-ish mark for – a lot of teams, we know who's good, we know who's bad, we know what teams need to make a move, and there's some crazy stats from some guys that I'm really looking forward to to getting into. So so first things first, we're going to talk about some of the top teams and just are they better than, worse than, or as we expected them to be. So first, first team is the Los Angeles Lakers. They obviously added Anthony Davis this offseason. They're better than I thought they would be. At this point, they're 21 and three, first in the West. I think LeBron is still leading the NBA in, in assists, and it looks like him and Davis have been playing together for years. Yeah, you know, it's and and not to jump way ahead, but I think that the the really interesting thing about the Lakers is that they're going to be compared to the Clippers constantly, right? Just because they're both. Uh, sporting big twos now. Who's the best player in the NBA? Kawhi thought it was, you know, it looked like it was Kawhi at the end of last year. I think that what's really interesting about the Lakers is that LeBron should have dropped off. Like, he's in his 16th year. He's, I think, pushing up on something like 50,000 career minutes, regular season and playoffs. And he... I don't want to say he looks exactly the same, but he looks like he's still a top three player in the league. And that drop off was, in my opinion, the only thing that could fell this team. Yeah, I mean, LeBron is known for in the last few years taking a lot of time off during the regular season. But it maybe this is what happens when you have a real off season. The the guy hasn't had a true off season since. maybe 2006 because he made the finals in 07 was playing deep into may every other year with team usa commitments and all that but basically since he's been in miami the guy made obviously eight straight finals played in the olympics in 2012 uh had a lot of summer commitments so he he had a real off season yes he filmed space jam but (laughs) but the other thing about it though dave and and that i wonder is and this is what I was going to bring up about the Clippers is that their biggest star, just like the Lakers' biggest star, is probably at some point going to be handled through this new load management system, right? Yeah. And the Lakers have played LeBron James in 24 out of 24 games, and he's averaging over 34 minutes per game. 
And part of me wonders if Frank Vogel's strategy is to try to run away with the one seed early or reestablish LeBron or if LeBron's saying, hey, I want to do what I did in that last year with the Cavs or the second to last year with the Cavs where he played all 82 games. So if he can do that, and obviously if Anthony Davis stays healthy, who's played 23 out of 24 games, this team can be the best team in the league by far, though I'm sure we'll talk about the Bucks as well. But if LeBron goes on a Kawhi Leonard at load management system, then you have to start wondering, is the Avery Bradley and Danny Green and Alex Caruso lineups of the world really going to get it done and, and be as dominant as the LeBron Davis pairing? Yeah, that that's a fair point. And, you know, LeBron has never done load management before. He 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 chooses to just play and just not try as hard instead of just sitting out games, which I think is a very interesting <laughs> approach. <laughs> um, but when you're the greatest basketball player of your generation, you're allowed to do things that other people aren't. Just so so they are twenty one and three. The the three teams who they've lost to, they they lost to Toronto. They lost to Dallas, and they lost to the Clippers in the first game of the season, where you can really kind of throw that throw throw that game out because you know they're everyone on this team was was new this year basically, but they haven't played that many playoff teams or teams who at this point are in the playoffs. They've beaten Utah twice, they've beaten Dallas once, they beat Miami, but a lot of the other teams who they've beaten are teams in the bottom of. The respective conferences. They, they also beat Denver, but so the schedule is going to get harder. Like they haven't played Houston yet. They've only played the the Clippers once. It will be interesting to see as the as the year goes on. As you know, as you're saying, it's after Christmas is when LeBron tends to really dial it back, and Davis is always picking up these nagging like muscular injuries. Like who knows if he'll be able to stay healthy for for 82 games and. Are we really buying that Dwight Howard is going to be as good as he is <laughs> for 82 games or Alex Caruso? Like they have a lot of guys who started really well, but it'll, you know, they haven't had any adversity yet. I, I agree. And it's, it's, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to talk about the Utah jazz much at all, but they're sort of in the opposite boat in that I think through their first 24, they're like 13 and 11, but they've played the hardest or the second hardest schedule in the league. And they have a really soft kind of winter uh let's call it and and they expect to turn it up then so i do think that if the lakers get a little bit too cozy and lebron shuts it down a little bit like you were saying teams like the jazz or you know if uh obviously jamal murray uh miss missed most of the game last night like but the nuggets teams like that can really come roaring up on the lakers and i'm just saying the one seed is not a guarantee not at all, and we'll we'll talk about the Rockets in, in a little bit. But they're playing really well too. The thing yeah, that great. and 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 the thing about the Lakers too is they just have guys you don't know if you can count on for the whole season. It's Dwight Howard, Javale McGee, Rajon Rondo, Kentavious Caldwell Pope. Like they have guys in their rotation who are they going to be able to compete for those eighty-two games and stand out when the schedule gets a lot harder? I'm. You know, Utah seemingly always starts slow. I don't know what it is, but they seemingly always have like the most difficult two first two months, and then they somehow still win fifty three games. <laughs> and and I really like Denver. I think Denver is really good. 
I, I think that I, they've been really disappointing this year because they were obviously the two seed last year. They've started a little slow. Jokic hasn't been dominating the way I thought he would. No, he hasn't. But I think part of it's just a feel thing um, and, and kind of like a settling in thing. And I don't mean that he's brand new. But I think that sometimes when you have these high expectations, as they did coming into this year, um, you have to just kind of resettle into that role. And obviously they added guys like Jeremy Grant. You have guys like Beasley coming off the bench who don't see who, who seem to be trade candidates because they don't want to sign the new contract. And, you know, I, I wonder if it's if a little bit of it is the disease of more. In a certain sense, you know, they want more, more, more. We can't be satisfied with with what we have, and and they're not kind of doing what they did last year, which was just allowing Jokic to be this like creator and uh, democratic uh, distributor. Yeah, that that's definitely a fair point because Murray got paid, Jokic obviously got paid. They have a lot of guys who are, I think, getting ready to get paid. So and also and also Millsap just isn't as good. Yeah, I mean he's a classic guy who's gotten older and he's not as good as he was two or three years ago. That's why, and we don't have to go into the whole you know trade market, but everyone talks about Kevin Love being an option for the Trailblazers, which I do think makes a lot of sense. But the Nuggets are a team that makes a lot of sense. If you can swap Millsap's contract for Love's contract, even though Love's is longer, you know, and obviously you're going to have to throw in some other stuff to the Cavaliers, but. Love makes them legitimately um, a much sig- more significant contender, in my opinion. The stuff that he and Jokic could do together, oh my God, it would be awesome. Yeah, the stuff offensively would be insane. And defensively, it would be a, a struggle. But <laughs> yeah. But they, you know, they, it's not like Paul Millsap is, is an all world defender. Like he's solid, but. Right. But. I think Kevin Love is a solid team defender. He just got picked up. We, we think he's so bad because the Warriors are just impossible to guard no matter who you are because it's just like they just force him to guard Steph Curry and Kevin Durant like anyone would look foolish, you know? Oh, of course. Of course. So so m- moving on, we got the next team is the Milwaukee Bucks. They are as good as I expected to, them to be. Uh they are running through the East. They're also 21-3. and three. Giannis, coming off his first MVP, is averaging 31 points, 13 rebounds, and 5.5 assists a game. Just dominating. It makes his quote over the summer when he said that he was about at, that where he was at about 60% of his potential. And we all kind of laughed at it, like, how is that even possible? Like, he might have, like, like, he might still be at, like, 70%. And he's shooting the ball a lot better. He's, he's shooting... Uh, the three better. He's at 32% on five attempts a game. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. His free throws have to get up because he's taking 11 free throws a game. He's got to shoot better than 59%. Uh, I agree, but but I'm with you on the same page, David, in the sense that it did feel like he, a, a, as much as Giannis had been anointed last year with that MVP, it felt like there was another level. And you know what? There might even be another level beyond this right now, which is the scary thing to think about. Yeah, and I don't know if that's on the defensive side of the ball or if that's continuing on offense, just becoming a better and better and a more confident uh, shooter. But if he's shooting five a game and he's hovering around anywhere between 32 and 35%, I don't really know how you're supposed to guard him. Well, I don't think you can. Yeah. 
that shows in the sense that Milwaukee has the highest effective field goal percentage in the league at 56%, and they have the number two offensive rating in the league. And um, as great as that is, they also have the number one defensive rating in the league, which is pretty remarkable um, when you consider that a lot of times, I know people talk about 3 and D, but a lot of times when you put certain shooters on the floor, you're sacrificing defensively. Mm. But they've managed to uh, pretty effectively, even with Brooke Lopez shooting under 30% from three, Eric Bledsoe shooting 31 from three, they've managed to still, you know, pick it up on both ends of the floor, shooting the heck out of it and guarding. Yeah. I mean, it helps when you have Giannis. I think Chris Middleton's a solid defender. Then you have George Hill when he's healthy because the dude is – George Hill is like the great perfect player who like is awesome for 20 games and then misses 20 games. Uh, (laughs) And then so – Hopefully he could keep going for 82. We've, I don't think he's ever played 82. Uh, and then Bledsoe has his moments, and Bledsoe's playing well. He's playing good basketball right now, and he's a guy like George Hill who is super frustrating because it's like they they tease you as a fan because they play great. Bledsoe played great last year, got paid, and then in the playoffs you're like, why did we pay this guy? <laughs> but it, it, it's, it is that, but I also like – that they haven't fully replaced Brogdon, at least in his creation ability. But I like that they've kind of given more minutes to those athletic wings, the combination of uh, Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Connaughton, and then obviously we can throw Wes Matthews into that wing group. You know, those guys playing a combined 40, 66 minutes a game, you know, between them and all shooting somewhere between 33 and 39% from three, those are the kind of guys that I think make a huge difference. Um, and obviously they're not going to be all-stars, but they're the depth pieces that allow Giannis to do their thing. And especially in the regular season with all the travel and it's such a grind that these guys are coming in, they're playing hard, they're going to compete on both ends of the floor. And when you're in four games in five days and back-to-back, it's like, and the Bucks are coming in. Everyone knows about Giannis. And then you have DiVincenzo and Connaughton making these hustle plays and guarding that it just demoralizes you, too. Yeah, and Sterling Brown has been good. Yeah. Like, no one who's, again, risen to all-star level. But just that wing depth, you know, maybe it won't make a difference in the playoffs. But in the grind of the regular season, like you said, I think that's been enormous for them. And I think that they made the right decision not paying Brogdon because – $85 million is a lot of money for Malcolm Brogdon. And it, it, but at the same time, if they had the choice to pay Brogdon 85 or Eric Bledsoe, whatever they paid, would they pay Eric Bledsoe 72? Yeah, too much. I think they're probably sitting there going, crap, I wish we gave Brogdon 85 and had waited on Bledsoe. I, yes. I get why they did it with the timing. but Yes. I Of, of the two, I would rather have Brogdon than Bledsoe, but the not Paying Brogdon, I think, gives them some creativity at the deadline in the buyout market that they can now make a move because they won't be over the luxury tax and have so much money tied up into average to slightly above average point guards. But they also, the the underrated thing about the Bucks too, is that they have one of the best coaching staffs in the league with coach Mike Budenholzer at the helm. I think he might be the best coach in the Eastern Conference. Is that- yeah, he's awesome. and and a lot of people talked about why Giannis could make the jump last year when Budenholzer came in, 
And I think just playing fast allows Giannis to be at his best. And right now they're leading the league in pace at over 105 possessions per 48 minutes. And that's the first thing Budenholzer has done. And then, we, you know, people talk a lot about the Spurs and Popovich and his whole 0.5 seconds rule and this idea that, you know, within 0.5 seconds when you get the ball on offense, you have to either shoot, pass, or attack. And the ball moves like that with Budenholzer um, when he was with the Hawks and now with the Bucks, And I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, it's been huge for the Bucks. For in terms of Giannis and also guys like Middleton and and Bledsoe, where it's like, you know, you, you tell Bledsoe, hey, you get the ball, just attack, and that's what he's good at. And as you say, like the the pace, they have these really good athletes. They've built this roster around obviously Giannis, but they built it around the coaching staff and and the style. They said we're going to get guys who fit our system. And there's different ways to build a team: is that you can get players and build a system to it, or you can get players to fit your existing system with Giannis and they chose that route and it's worked out really well. So I think they're the best team in the East. I think that they're going to win the East uh, because I'm not a true believer in Miami yet. I think that they're good, but I'm not like saying that they're going to make the Eastern Conference finals or that they could make the finals at all. I've had doubts about Jimmy Butler in that locker room over the whole regular season and Philly's weird. Philly is a weird team. (laughs) Philly is weird, but I, I want to go back to Miami because that's an interesting one. And I have to say, Miami shocked me. I actually thought they were going to self-combust. I, I did not think they were that good. Um, I thought that they they were actually – I actually thought Orlando was going to be a better team than them this year and win that division. But Miami has shocked me. And the thing about Miami is that I'm not sure how they can get better. Now, in theory, there are moves to be made. They have plenty of tradable contracts, but the move that I thought made a lot of sense was making one for Kyle Lowry, and it looks now like the Raptors aren't going to be trading away their pieces. So I'm just not sure. I feel like Miami needs another piece to get over the hump, and and I don't know if it's there. Like, is this team – isn't this team kind of bumping its head against the ceiling right now? Well – it's interesting you mentioned Larry. I, I hadn't thought of Larry because everyone was saying that Chris Paul was the move. That at, literally everyone was like, Chris Paul to Miami makes the most sense for everyone. I think Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler might be a, a disaster in terms of chemistry wise. <laughs> but it's interesting you you mentioned Larry and, and the Raptors because it feels like ever since Masai Ujiri took over as the GM there, he's been wanting to do a teardown, and the the players on that team just and the coaches just won't let him because they keep winning. <laughs> And Lowry's been good this year. You know, he's an NBA champion now. That adds a level of confidence. And just with Miami, like, the reason why they've surprised so much is because guys like, you know, Duncan Robinson, friend of the pod, has been awesome this year and vastly exceeded, I think, their wildest expectations. He started 19 games. He's averaging 12 points. You know, they probably thought he'd be a good player for them, but definitely not as important this early. The same with Kendrick Nunn who's averaging 16 a game, an undrafted rookie. They didn't think Bam... They definitely probably didn't think Bam Adebayo would take this huge leap that he has. He's averaging 15 and 10 and four assists. People are comparing him to Draymond Green. They probably didn't expect Justice Winslow to be this good. You know, they have guys who are playing vastly over their levels right now. And Winslow for a long time was just trade fodder, and I'm not sure they'd be willing to move him at this point. And Bam... 
I'm glad you brought up Bam Adebayo because I, I haven't watched a ton of uh, Heat games, but I've watched a little bit. And when they go four smalls around Bam, my God, is this team fun to watch. They're switching everything on defense. They're, Bam is protecting the heck out of the rim. They're getting the ball moving in transition on offense. Like They're so much more fun with those lineups than when they have Kelly Olynyk and Bam together. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and it's the the question for this team is Jimmy Butler, and it's it's, it's going to come down to to Jimmy because as good as Bam has been, it's Butler's no, it's Jimmy Butler's team. It's it's Butler's team, and Butler, you know, he wears on teammates, and his personality and his demeanor. You know, he didn't. There's all these reports that he didn't really like Simmons and Embiid that much. Uh he obviously disliked the guys in, in Minnesota. Something clearly happened in Chicago with those guys. I mean, he's on the team he wants to be on. He got his way to Miami. But currently right now, Kendrick Nunn is taking more shots per game than, than he is. I don't think that will last much much longer. No. <laughs> and, and you know, they, they are 18 and 6. But I think this team, this team has been way, way better than I thought. But... They, they have a difficult road ahead because it's now it's. They have the expectation of now everyone says that, says that they're good. So now when they winning is now the expectation, not a surprise or a shock, anymore. Which is right. which is different. Absolutely, and but though Spolstra is a great coach to handle that. If you, you know, if that's your expectation, because he's been there before. I mean, I'm not sure anybody's had a bigger. Uh, expectation level placed on them as a coach than Spolster when LeBron, Wade, and Bosch got together. For sure. And so, and also, so they have six losses. They've lost to Denver. They've lost to the Lakers. They've lost to the Sixers, the Rockets, and Boston. So five of those six, and Minnesota was, was one of them, but five of their six losses are against really good teams. So they've been beating up on some of the bad teams in the league. But they have beaten Milwaukee, so we'll see where where it goes. But this team has a move to they make. And played only the twenty third most challenging schedule in the league this year, which goes exactly to your, which kind of goes against your point, though. Yeah. So, so they have a move to make. I think it'll be Chris Paul. I think Pat Riley can't stay away, and <laughs> uh, I think the Thunder will package. One of those 2,000 draft picks they got from the Rockets and Clippers over the summer to sweeten up the deal. But they, but we'll, we'll see how they look as the season goes on because the roster won't be the same. The next team I want to talk about is Dallas. So Dallas is Luka Doncic's team, and Luka has taken the leap. He there, There's no such thing as a sophomore slump with Luka Doncic. It's now the sophomore MVP campaign yeah he's I, I, I don't know how to say it he's one of the five or ten best players in the league yeah yeah i it's mean i mean he's averaging Markham. he's averaging 30 points nine assists and 10 rebounds a game in his second league or in in, in his second season and he's doing this, and they're winning games too this isn't we're going to talk about this in, in a little bit but with like the trey young comparison with him Trey Young's put up all these stats on a bad team and they're losing. It's like the Devin Booker thing. Luca's right. doing this and they're winning games. They are sixteen and seven. 
They're at the top of their division, which means that they're in the top four seats in the West. And he's doing this without a, without Christoph Porzingis being clearly fully back and comfortable from his torn ACL. I I think David, there was a really interesting article. I think it was on the Ringer, um, and they were talking about how Luca gives this flexibility to the Mavericks because he's such a good rebounding guard or wing that allows them a lot of flexibility in the front court to play guys like Porzingis, who. Um, you know, are not great rebounders and, and, and kind of more one-dimensional centers like uh, Maxi Kleber or uh, Dwight Powell. And then the other thing I was reading, uh, not sure where I saw it. It might have been on The Athletic, um, but it was about how – it might have been on The Ringer actually as well. Um, and it was about how Carlisle at first was playing Porzingis and Doncic separately um, and allowing them to kind of both be superstars. And now he's playing them together, and they're so much more efficient playing off of each other. And – it seems like that's been the key to unlocking them. I mean, that that's a great decision by by Carlisle. It kind of reminds me of uh, what Sean McVay said, the, the Rams coach, about why he was going to start giving the Todd Gurley the ball more. He says, and McVay goes, like, I'm going to stop being an idiot. I'm going to start giving Todd Gurley the ball more because he's really good. This is, like, clearly, like, Carlisle was clearly overthinking it, and he just put them together. He's like, you know what? I'm just going to play our two best players at the same time, and it's awesome. I totally right. agree. And which is sort of the Rockets theory, which yeah. we'll talk about in a minute. But it's like, just give me the two best players possible or three best players possible, and we'll just figure it out. Yeah. And that's one of the great things is that when you have a transcendent player like Doncic, you can play him and you can figure it out. Because as you said, he's such a good defensive rebounder that you can it, it allows you to play guys who aren't that good on defense or rebounding the ball who provide stuff on offense as well because who can space the floor even more has specific roles like Dwight Powell's a great rim runner but he's not a great defensive rebounder but you can play him because Luka Doncic is going to get all the defensive rebounds well, exactly exactly Luka just allows you to do so many different things and I mean this is remarkable so Luka currently has a PER player efficiency rating of 31.55 so far this season it would be even more remarkable if it wasn't the second best in the nba currently this season Giannis is 33.78 which is absurd but just to put in perspective who luca is in territory with which because right now it's the ninth best in nba history he's ahead of steph curry's 2015-16 season and he's trailing only lebron wilt mj lebron mj wilt wilt and Giannis. And the fact that we can even talk about Luca in the same breath as those players, I'm not saying he's totally there yet, but his efficiency this year obviously is tells you the trajectory that this young man is on. And also, he's going to get better because he's only a 32% three-point shooter now. He's a high-volume guy. He takes nine and a half threes a game. But he's going to become a better shooter and his body is only going to get better too as he gets older and trains more because he's 20 years old and he's going to get better. Right. And, and you know, the nice thing about him is he doesn't necessarily rely on his athleticism. So he's not super, uh, relying on, you know, how fast he's going, how high he can jump, etc. He's just so crafty for a guy his age. It's really remarkable. Right. It's it's not the, the Derek Rose where 
You could tell that he's dominating because he's just so much more athletic and better at basketball than everyone else, but mainly more athletic. Luka Doncic, ever since he came in, he he moves at his own pace. Like, he gets the game to – he never looks like he's being rushed. And he looks – that it makes him look really crafty because he never looks sped up. Like I'm, I'm with you. Like he's incredible. I, I don't know if there's been as good of a 20 year old basketball player in the NBA since LeBron James. And if you are Sacramento or Phoenix, you have to be kicking yourself <laughs> that you, that, that you didn't take this guy. Cause you clearly overthought it. Phoenix well, said, how about, how about overthinking it? The, the Hawks had him and they traded him. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about the Hawks in a in a second. But so the last team that we're going to hit on is you mentioned as you mentioned at the top the other LA team, the Clippers. They are as I expected them to be because they're still working back Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, getting them to really mesh together. Uh, as you said, coming into the season, I ranked Kawhi Leonard as the best player in the NBA, and he's either number one or number two. LeBron's been been awesome, but they are eighteen and seven, obviously behind the Lakers. But th- this team is only going to get better as they gel more, and it's a difficult si- situation with all the load management for both Kawhi and Paul George. But this team is going to be dangerous in the in the playoffs. I, I agree, and they've actually played one of the ten hardest schedules in the NBA. Um, you know, of their twenty-five games, Kawhi has only played eighteen of them. Paul George has only played fourteen, so they're not fully. Uh, you know, they're not at full strength yet, but they they really are remarkable. The thing that I like about them, I think Doc Rivers is such a great coach for this team. I love how hard this team plays. It doesn't feel like they have this entitlement to them. Uh, you know, being crowned off-season champions. I, I'm really impressed at how hard they play, how hard they rebound. Um, I, I mean, I think they lead the league in offensive rebounding percentage, actually. I, it, just watching them play, it, it's fun. It's You know how sometimes really good teams are not necessarily fun to watch? I think this team is very enjoyable. Cough, cough, Houston Rockets. But, like, I totally agree with you because they've they've also built their roster around guys who just play really hard like they have Montrez Harrell they have Pat Beverly Lou Williams is really fun to watch I love Zubac they stole him from agreed from Lakers and Paul George and Kawhi play really hard too and and I like I like Landry Shamit I like Mo Harkless I, I'm with you I'm with they got a good fun group of dudes and even you know and, Jerome Robinson I'm waiting for that guy to become something Yes, to- totally agree. He's he's only playing 13 minutes a game, but he's shown flashes. And you mentioned Shamit. He's only played in 10 games this season, too. And he was killing the Warriors in, in the yeah, playoffs. He was. Him, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell is like the classic guy who's coming out of college, and everyone's like, oh, he's just way bigger, stronger, than, and more athletic than anyone in college basketball. That That's why he was so good. And clearly the game was transitioning away from because he didn't really shoot threes in college and didn't really have any post moves. He was just like an athlete, but he's averaging 19 point, 19 points, eight rebounds in almost thir- in 29 minutes coming off the bench. Yeah. He's awesome. Three offensives a game. Like he's, he's, he's fun. He's really fun. 
and I don't want to compare him to Dennis Rodman because he's, I don't think, nearly as crazy or <laughs> as tenacious of, of a rebounder to, to Rodman, and he's a much, much better scorer. But it's like the classic, if, like if you just have guys who play really, really hard, like playing hard is a skill, the way three-point shooting is a skill that is cl- so undervalued by these league executives that it's Montrezl Harrell's NBA skills that he's going to play harder than anyone else on on the court. He's not going to take a single playoff. I agree with that. I, I agree with that. And I like the freedom that they give him. They give Lou Williams. Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell taking a combined almost uh, 30 shots per game. I mean, that bench unit gets to really just do their thing. And I think that's a huge reason for the success. And if you see them in a seven-game playoff series, you know, Bill Simmons used to always talk about when the before the Warriors were the Warriors, how they were a tough matchup because in a seven-game series, you're going to have like the one or two Steph Clay games when they would go off and like hit 20 combined threes. So they're going to win that game. When you look at the Clippers now, you're going to have in a seven-game series, you're going to have that one game when Lou Williams has like 35 and doesn't miss a shot. Then you're going to have... Then you're gonna have the game where you might have the the Landry Shamit game where he makes seven threes, and and then you'll have the Paul George and Kawhi game. So so it's gonna be so hard to beat them because they just have so many guys who can just come at you. That even when Kawhi and Paul George are are on the bench and you feel like you can rest for a second, like you have Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell coming off the bench who are like those guys are starter quality NBA players. Absolutely. So. Anything else you want to add about the clips before we move on to what I think will be the most enjoyable part of this podcast, which is the crazy stat segment? No, I think that we're going to have a really interesting L.A. versus L.A. clash, so I'm excited to see it. Yes, I that I can't wait. So, as I've just said, crazy stat segment. So, there's a few guys who are just, they're just some numbers... We don't like to be too numbers focused on the double double, but there are some times where you have to just point it out. So James Harden is averaging thirty eight points a game. Okay, that's a lot of points, and he's taking fourteen threes and fourteen free throws a game. That is just bonkers. <laughs> it, it is, and I I think it's. I don't want to say it's a shame, but I, 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 the Rockets can be hard to watch sometimes, and certainly the way he gets those 14 three-point attempts with the step-backs and the isos and the free-throws attempts with you know flinging himself around can be painful to watch. But I do think when you take a step back from being in that, I, I mean, talk about just the perfect marriage of coach and player and front office and it's it's historical. Daryl Morey, I think, called him the greatest offensive player of all time. Not the best player of all time, but the greatest offensive player of all time. And I think Harden is saying, uh, yeah, look at me. And I'm trying to prove it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, as avid readers, have, you know, going back to 2011, 2012, 2013, started reading about these things where these guys, Kirk Goldsberry... Obviously, we're saying that the best shots in basketball were the, th- in, especially in in the NBA, were three pointers and free throws, 
in terms of points per possession. They were the highest point per possession shots. And James Harden this year is that math personified on a basketball court. Like all he shoots are three pointers, free throws and layups and dunks. Like he only like part of the reason why I feel like people don't like watching is because people don't like math. And when you're watching James Harden, you're watching them play the odds and play the perfect math formula of it's not as beautiful where it's like they're passing the ball around and, you know, he never takes a mid range shot because guys just, cause he, he like, he knows the math. He knows that a three point shot, even if he's guarded and takes 14 dribbles before that is a better shot for him and for the team than if he shoots a mid range shot. Well, I heard a really interesting thing a couple years back where they were talking about this idea of uh, college versus NBA. Um, and, and they said college coaches, the NBA feels like college coaches, and this is not everyone, but some people feels like college coaches are too concerned about the process, about how, you know, did you get the ball side to side three different times? Did you run enough fluff to go into your dangerous scoring action? And the NBA is a lot more focused on the result. And um, the Rockets are kind of the epitome of that in that, like, they just come straight down. And if they can get hard in a look, they feel like that's their highest percentage look. And I think it's a really interesting thought experiment in the sense of the Rockets don't they care about the process in terms of are you taking threes or or corner threes and stuff like that but they don't care so much about how it looks did the ball go side to side those things yeah and I think that the main difference is just that like a the guys in the NBA are just so much better and and it's the the 24 second shot clock where that's so much faster than anyone realizes that because basically if you dribble the ball down you're already at like 19 that's not a lot of time to get up a shot and anytime James Harden shoots the ball it's fundamentally a good shot for your team so they must so like it's hey we don't have that much time anytime he shoots it's a great shot for us and we can't worry so much about the process because we just don't have enough time and the process for us is just giving it to Harden yeah pretty good process so one other stat I, I want to mention is if we're talking about the Rockets, Russell Westbrook is shooting 23% from three. Not good. No, not good. But I think the Rockets are potentially better. With, with Westbrook than Chris Paul? Yeah, maybe. I haven't fully formulated my opinion uh, what was that? The 27, 2018 year when Chris Paul got hurt and yeah. they took, they lost. They were down up three two. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. That's the argument to my point. Um, obviously, but I, I just feel like Westbrook is so dangerous in a way that Paul wasn't, or you know. Westbrook's ceiling, obviously, versus Paul's ceiling. It just, and I think it'll allow teams to get different looks in the playoff. And let Westbrook run the run, you know, the point a little bit more. Get Harden off the ball a touch more. They play faster when Westbrook's in the game and Harden's out of the game, which I think just changes the flow and forces you to kind of scout two different systems in a sense. 
I think they're more dangerous. I think it'll end up being better. Um, I, I think he'll end up shooting over 30% from three, uh, Westbrook, that is. And I think they're actually going to be better. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm not fully – I haven't come around fully on on, on who's better or, or who's not uh, and how it fits in with, with this team. But the big thing about Chris Paul, and it's different because the Warriors aren't the Warriors this year, but Chris Paul wasn't afraid of the Warriors. He loved taking it right to Steph Curry. I don't think Westbrook's afraid of them either, but – I don't think Westbrook's afraid of anybody. I don't think so either, but <laughs> it'll be interesting to see in the playoffs – it was always Chris Paul's injuries that hurt him in the postseason that he was never able to stay fully healthy. It's Westbrook's right. style of play and the fact that, it's, it's as we just talked about with the with the Clippers and preparing over a seven-game series, you know going into the series there's going to be one game when Westbrook loses the game for us because he just goes bonkers and just does yeah. all this crazy stuff. And if you can survive that and basically win four games in four out of six, you'll be fine. But... I have this love-hate thing with, with Russell Westbrook because he's a guy who I would love to play with because he plays so hard and just, like, never gives in, never gives up on on anything. And then there's times where you want him to, like, take a take a chill pill and just, like, calm down. But, like... Yeah, I'm not sure you would love playing with him. I'm not sure anybody would love playing no. with Like, kind of the knock on him is that he kind of just kills the, the shot clock with 20 seconds of dribbling and then only passes for assists as opposed to like getting the ball moving and giving everyone touches in the flow I, I, it's a mixed bag for sure but he's he, he's a guy who i'd want on, on my team because i he's just one of those guys who i'll i'll take a guy who will he'll lose because he's just going too hard yeah. Hey. Fair. I can I can wrap my head around that argument. But do do you have any crazy stats you wanna you wanna point out? Just what we mentioned before, which is uh, that Giannis right now this season has the highest PER in NBA history, and it's not even close. The current, the previous. Highest PER player efficiency rating for a single season was Wilt's 1962-63 season, 31.82. Giannis right now is at 33.78, so almost two full uh, points higher in PER. Um, We'll see if he can sustain it, but that's pretty remarkable to me, the start he's off to. Yes, for sure. So uh, next we got... The Trey Young versus Luka Doncic. We kind of talked about this a, a little bit with, with 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 Luka Doncic, but is there even a debate anymore between between the two? I don't think so. I, I never thought there was. To be honest, I think Trey Young does some really terrific things, but I'm not sure Trey Young is a winning winning basketball player. If that makes sense i think he can win some games but i'm not sure he can really sustain it in the you know i think he's more russell westbrook than uh steph curry if that makes sense in terms of westbrook's kind of mo and where he's been in his career when he was the top guy i think that um Donkic is going to be one of the all-time greats. He's showing that he's going to do that from the age of 19 last year, 20 this year. Uh, I don't think there's much of a debate. And then you talk about 
you know, the locker room and the, these new reports coming out that Trey Young has been exploding in the locker room and freaking out. And, and you know, the Hawks just aren't very good. I know they're without John Collins. I know Kevin Herter's been out, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think, I know they're always going to be compared to each other and that's fine, but I just don't think that's ever going to work out well for Trey Young. I just hate to break it to people, but Kevin Herter's injury is not the reason why they're bad this year. Um, <laughs> they're bad because they're just a lot of really young guys who, as you said, are really good individually, but they're still trying to figure out how to play defense in the NBA and how to compete together. And Trey Young has his deficiencies on defense, but he's right now is putting up really good stats, 28 points a game. And it's funny, you, you know, those reports aren't great, but there are also... He's saying the right things in the media, at least, where it's ESPN loves to put up the graphics of Trey Young, another 30-point triple-double, or he had 38, 7-7. Seven and seven. But he's saying it in, in the media when people ask him if he's happy about the stats or the games, he says, no, like, we didn't win. And I think he's saying the right things, but it's that unfair thing where it's he's always going to be compared to Luka Doncic. It's, you know, people... People forget that because Darko Milicic and Carmelo Anthony are always going to be compared to each other. People forget that Darko that that Darko has more championships than Carmelo. But it's that Kevin Durant, Greg Oden thing where the reason why we think so little of Greg Oden is because Kevin Durant has turned out to be the top ten player of all time. Or you have the the eighty four draft with Hakeem, Ralph Sampson, and then. Uh, Michael Jordan. Yeah, I, I just I know you said before that we don't want to be a strictly numbers based podcast, David, and I respect that. But if you just look on Basketball Reference and you look at the win shares, aka an estimate of the number of wins contributed by a player, so far in their you know season and a quarter each. Trey Young has been worth 5.3 win shares and Luka has been worth 9.6 win shares. And they think that tells the whole story. I mean, you want to use a different stat. Vorp, value over replacement player. Trey Young, 1.8. Luka Doncic, 6.5. It's just any sort of metric you use. And a lot of it, I think, comes down to how bad Trey Young is defensively. But I think Luke is better offensively too. Yeah, and you you hope that you know, and Trey Young's body will improve because Steph Curry's body improved a lot too. He got a lot stronger. You're, it's funny you want you want Doncic almost to lose some weight and get more athletic, and you want Trey to put on some mass. But Curry's become a good a good enough defender. And right. I agree with that. I agree with that. And the goal is for Trey Young, I don't think, to ever become good. He just has to become good enough. And Yeah, that's... And it is... Oh, it'll be interesting to, to see because they are really bad. And we'll see what happens when John Collins comes back. But if I'm Atlanta, you're going to be drafting at the top again this year. They missed on DeAndre Hunter. But it's another weak class. Maybe I try to move the pick and get a veteran. Just like get a grown-up in in that locker room. Yeah, I think they need that. I think he needs a mentor and uh, we'll see. We'll see. So 
we're gonna skip the Tankapalooza segment because we're running a little low on time. But just we're just gonna give the update on the Tankapalooza. Uh, the Knicks are four and twenty. Um, they've lost ten in a row. By two of them by more than thirty-five. Recording this on Wednesday, the eleventh. They lost last night by twenty-eight. They fired Fisdale. They they let this man hold a two-hour practice and then fired him after practice. Doesn't make any sense. Um. <laughs> They're just a disaster. Um, so that's just the Tank Palooza update. They're all competing for after the Knicks. The Wars are bad, but that's because everyone's hurt. The Knicks are bad because they're just bad. Uh, moving on to college basketball. This has been a pretty good college basketball season so so far. Uh, a lot of surprises from, from the top teams. It seems like there's a lot of parity again this year. Uh, and obviously when... When we talk college basketball now, it's everyone wants to know who are the top NBA prospects. Uh, so I listed three guys who are playing this year in college and one guy who's not. Uh, you obviously have James Wiseman down at Memphis who's suspended right now uh, for an NCAA violation with Penny Hardaway. He'll be back January 12th, so that's about in a month. Memphis will be really good when he's back. You got Anthony Edwards at Georgia who played well – was it Maui or the Bahamas? I forget, but but he put up a big game against Michigan State. And then obviously you have Cole Anthony uh, down at North Carolina. So those are some of the top guys. Uh, and then you have LaMelo Ball out in Australia who just got hurt, but he's been putting up awesome numbers. So those are like the four guys I feel like who are competing really for that for that top draft pick. Yeah, you know, when maybe Obi Toppin uh, who, from Dayton who's been hot, as, who's been red hot, and, you know, another guy who I think could try to overtake Cole Anthony for the top point guard is Nico Mannion. But I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yeah, so so that was just a those were just quick names just to if you haven't watched any college basketball, just like those are the guys it's like, okay, those those are the names that if you're at the bar and someone talks about college basketball and you don't know anything, you'd be like, hey, how about that uh Anthony Edwards guy? Georgia, you know, Tom Tom Crean, Tom Co- Green. Coach Dwayne Wade is this two point you know, you know, just talking points for a uh, for the people out there, but so the top teams and surprises, we got to talk about Louisville coach. We got to talk about Louisville, Chris Beard. They're way, way better than I thought they'd be early on. Obviously, Chris Mack. Chris Beard sorry, beat them last sorry, night, Dave. sorry. Chris Beard beat them last night. Chris Mack is their coach. All, all these Chris's. Uh, I wasn't expecting Louisville to be this good this early. No, neither did I, but it turns out Jordan Noir is really good, and he's another guy. I, he's not going to go top five, but he's a guy who right now is trying to play his way into the lottery, and he's averaging 21 a game after averaging 17 a game last year. Um, you know, he's consistently rebounding seven and a half uh, shots a game, just like he did last year, and, and he's been terrific. He's been really, really terrific. If you look at their win over Michigan, he had uh, 22 and 12 uh, last night. He had 14 and nine, and their loss to Texas Tech. But I, I mean, he is superb, and I think he's the engine that you know is making them go. And I am really looking forward to their game against Kentucky because uh, Louisville yeah, Kentucky is always just a huge, huge game. Uh, it'll be really fun to see Jordan Noir and. You got the Chris Mack, John Calipari matchup. This one is, uh, I think it's at Kentucky. Uh, yeah, at Kentucky. So it's just like 
they're good. And but like the ACC is so loaded that like people have to realize that this team, they're nine and one now. Like this team will finish twenty four and six or something like that, or twenty five and five or twenty five and six because they're going to lose games in the AC, but that doesn't mean that they're not good. They're going to lose no, games I, because I, the I, ACC I, is loaded. So, so just when people are watching, it's they're not going to be undefeated or one or two losses the way we've seen some some other teams. It's just because their conference is so good. I, I I agree with that. The other biggest surprise, oh, uh, is Michigan. Obviously, John Beeline goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Jawan Howard comes in, no head coaching experience, and only one guy left the program. And Michigan goes, they win the tournament down at the Bahamas, they beat North Carolina, they beat Gonzaga, handily, by the way. Yeah. And Jawan Howard has this team rolling. Yes, they just lost to to Louisville, but Michigan is for real this year. Yeah, and you know, you know what makes a brand new head coach's job really easy? Have well, I don't want to say really easy, but much easier is having veterans like Xavier Simpson and John Teske, who are proven tough guys and leaders, and just get results. I, I think the culture that those guys carried over from the Beeline era, and obviously Juwan Howard's an incredibly respected uh, former player and, and current coach. Um, but but I think that just eases the transition and and. If every college coach had got professionals like that, that would be helpful. And he's recruiting, too. He he got Isaiah Todd to commit, who was a top 10 guy. Michigan's yeah. going to be good for a while. I um, agree. Unfortunately, unfortunately, as a as an Ohio State fan, that, that's a scary thought. Well, you know, football is unclear, but basketball-wise, <laughs> they'll, be, they'll be pretty good. So, uh and while we're talking about Michigan, how about the women's team up there uh, and Harry Rafferty? You know, me and Coach Rafferty have been, have been talking about, you know, just the grind of, of the season. Wish they could get the uh, the Notre Dame game back, but they played great against Syracuse. That was a big win. Coach A, terrific coach, great person too. So it's just a culture of excellence at, at the Chrysler Center for, for Michigan basketball on the men's it, and women's it. side. Uh my favorite team probably is Gonzaga. I don't know, just for me and my dad. Like my dad always loved Gonzaga. So growing up, I watched a lot of random Gonzaga games with him. And so I always have a soft spot for them and Coach Mark Few. And they're good again this year. And unlike most Gonzaga teams, this team is really new. They have a lot of new guys uh, this year. Uh, they have a bunch of grad transfers and guys who are really stepping up. Uh, Joel... Ayaji, I think it's how you say his name, the the French kid. He's been great this year. Um, I don't know. It's going to be fun watching Gonzaga going forward because they are going to win their conference. They're going to be one of those teams who's going to be thirty and two or thirty one and one going into the NCAA tournament, and. No one's going to watch a single second of them when they're beating up on San Francisco and Pacific and Loyola Marymount. But this is a team that's really good again. Yeah, they and, and, and even though they did lose Rui Hachimura, Brandon Clark, the guy that's back and I, I think is better than ever is Killian Tilly. Yeah, and, healthy, uh, healthy. Right, absolutely. And, you know, certainly when you have a 6'10", 
guy who can do what he does, uh, that's more than an equalizer. That's a, a huge advantage. So with the new infusion of talent, I mean, they're a legitimate power at this point. It's incredibly impressive what they've done. And to prove that they are a legitimate power, North Carolina is coming to Spokane, Washington to play on December 18th. So that's a week from today. They have Arizona this weekend. These guys, wow. to, to make up for their weaker West Coast Conference schedule, they go and play real teams. They beat Oregon. They played Michigan. They were at Washington. They played Arizona, Carolina. Like They don't shy away from anyone. No, it's impressive, but it's also them saying, hey, we are a national power. Look at us. And and they are. They are. That's just a fact. And they're starting to recruit guys more from the top 100. And they, oh, yeah. They, they recruit nationally. Yeah. I, I, well, they recruit internationally even. So it'll be I, – I can't wait to see the game against Carolina. Just the, the idea that Roy Williams is taking his team to Spokane is just mind-boggling. Uh, yeah, the way Carolina's played, it's not going to be great for the, uh, the Tar Heels. <laughs> no, no. Um, so let's talk about another Chris. Uh, Chris Holtman and your Ohio State Buckeyes. I'm going to give you the floor on, on this one. Yeah, you know, I knew this Ohio State team was good. I knew they were talented. I knew Chris Holtman was a really, really good coach, but I did not expect them to be, you know, one of the five last undefeated teams. And uh one of the last two power five undefeated teams. I mean, they're having CJ Walker eligible after his red shirt year last year. Um, obviously getting some veterans like Kyle young to do their thing has been great. The Wessons, uh, Caleb Wesson has proven to be, you know, a guy that's probably playing himself into the first round. He's really slimmed down. The young talent's been incredibly impressive. DJ Carton, my God, that guy's a future NBA player. Um, I didn't expect him to be this good this soon, but Chris Holtman is proving that he's one of the best coaches in the country. Yeah. He, and it's funny, like their defense is really good too. They're beating teams on the defense. When they played Villanova, it gave up 51 points. When they played at Carolina, 49 points. You know? Well, and then look, you know, Penn State, who I think it was last night, beat Maryland pretty comfortably look what ohio state did to penn state yeah 106 74 oh my god like it wasn't even a game yeah so they have kentucky coming up on the 21st kentucky plays a crazy schedule too uh (laughs) yeah they have kentucky on the 21st that's like that's at like cbs sports classic so it's a neutral court but i'm excited for that one i think that'll be a good game and then the big 10 is just it's fun when the biggest schools in the Big Ten are really good. It's fun when it's like Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, or Purdue are just like beating up on each other. Yeah, and I think Ohio State's going to come back down to earth a little bit, but, you know, this is a team that's shown that obviously at their best they can make as deep a run into the tournament as maybe any team in the country. So I'm not saying they're going to be a number one seed like they look like right now, but if this team ends up, you know, a top four seed in any region, they're certainly a really, really dangerous threat to make the final four. Um, even if they do have a little bit of a slump in the middle of the season against the Michigan states and Wisconsin's and uh, of the world. I totally agree. And, and the last team we're going to mention really quickly is Maryland. Uh, I think they are a little overrated at this point. They're really ranked where they are because of Anthony Cowan's, uh, 
or Anthony Cowan Jr., who is in just an elite player. He's averaging six, 17 points and four assists a game. Obviously, they lose to Penn State last night. They haven't really beaten anyone yet. Uh, haven't really played that tough of a schedule. They have they have Seton Hall this weekend, but uh, I think they'll definitely come down to earth uh, during the uh, during the Big Ten season. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Cowan is just such a steadying presence in the backcourt. I think that their their young frontcourt talent is really impressive, led by Jalen Smith. And I'm going to be at their game at Seton Hall uh, next Thursday, so I'm excited to see them live. Awesome. So you have an early favorite for the title. Last thing, because I know you, you got to go, you got to practice plan, you got to get you know you got to get better today at, at the prep institute every day. Every day. Every, every day. Do you have an early favorite for the title? As of December 11th, who, if you had to fill out a bracket, who are you setting in all the way? It pains me to say it, but I actually think um, right now the favorite still has to be Duke. As counterintuitive and silly as it might seem, um, I just think this Duke team is going to get better all year. And I think the Kentucky team is going to get better all year, too. But I think Duke's just a little bit ahead of them. Um, I, I do think the Louisville's and Michigan's and Gonzaga's and Ohio State's and Maryland's are all going to be there in that Sweet 16 Elite Eight range. But I think at the end of the day, I think Duke right now um, is the team I would feel the most comfortable saying they're the best team in the country, even though they haven't played as if they are. Wow. I don't think Duke's very good. They can't shoot. I just think they're so talented. I think, first of all, I think Tyus Jones is their, def- uh, excuse me, Trey Jones is is so good defensively. And, you know, he's kind of that veteran. I know he's only a sophomore, but the veteran-ish guard that, that really helps that, that they're going to need. And then I, I, I don't know. I just really believe in Vernon Carey. I like, um, what's his name, Cassius Stanley on the wing. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just think that Coach K is going to get them together. Um I think this is a really good Duke team, but I'll tell you, you know, who's, if you ask me, and I know you didn't ask me, but I think the guy that's going to raise his draft stock in the tournament this year, that maybe has been my most fun player to watch this year is Tyrese Halliburton at Iowa state. Oh my God. Is he fun to watch? Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of people tuning into Ohio's to Iowa state basketball in November, but they're in the Big 12. They're, they're going to play Kansas, and that dude's going to put on a show. Oh, and it's not always scoring. It's just efficiency, and he, he he's really impressive. He, he's really fun to watch. He's just a fun-loving kid. He's got to fine-tune his jumper a little bit to jump into the lottery or the top 10 uh, in the draft, but someone's going to be really happy when they end up with that kid on their team. Couldn't agree more. If I had to say the early favorite – you got to give it to Gonzaga, homer pick. They played an elite schedule, upperclassman team, elite freshman. They got big guys. They can shoot it. Yeah. Great, great coach. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't got anything else. You, any last words for the, uh, for the old listeners? Appreciate you having me on, and uh, good luck to uh, you and, and the Cardinals as you head down to Florida next week can't wait it'd be great to see some some sun, some sunshine as it snowed last night so it was not as fun wiping a lot of snow off my car this morning <laughs> uh, it'll be fun seeing the beach and uh in the sun for once so coach thank you so much and uh good luck the rest of the way we're hoping to have you on in a couple of weeks to talk some college football all right sounds good to me all right thanks coach
That'll do it for the this episode of the Double Double. Uh, take care and make it a great day. <laughs>